It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show. Once again, and as always, I am Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Juan Pablo Brammer. He is a writer from New York City who I started bothering on Twitter last year, and now we are friends. And now I make him come on my podcast because that's how the internet works. Hello. Hi, Mallory. How are you? I'm so good and so ready for this. I have been waiting to be on the show for so long, and finally, it's all coming true. It is. Your wildest dreams are coming true starting today. Things are only going to go right better here on from this here. couch. Yeah, this is the beginning of your new life. Um, I'm also really excited to have you with me for my introduction. There's been a really interesting back and forth that I've been having this last week, both with um, my editors as well as like readers of the column over this letter I got last week that was really interesting and, and brought up a lot of different feelings. Um, this woman goes to a gym. Uh, and there was another woman at the gym. The The letter writer in question was white. The other woman in question was Hispanic. And she said, I thought she maybe looked familiar. She might have been an old acquaintance. Wasn't sure. So I asked her, like, are you Maria? And she said, no, I'm Veronica. We just all look alike. Um, and the letter writer was like really, really angry about this. She was like, I'm furious that she would make these assumptions about me. And I really want to tell her off. Like, can I go basically pick a fight with a stranger at my gym? And I advised her no. I said, I, I don't think you should do that. I think this woman actually, like, displayed fairly good humor and grace about it. Like, her joke was pretty mild. Um, and, and like, part of what was an interesting part of the conversation is I said, like, I think that was kind of low-key racist. Um, <laughs> and, like, it was okay for you to feel uncomfortable. And, like, I understand you don't want to feel this discomfort. You want to blame her for making assumptions when, in fact, like... She made no assumptions. Um, but that was my answer. And then there were a lot of responses that were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, how can this possibly be racist? We should only save the word racist for when, like, you blow up an entire planet. Oh, um, that's wild. I don't understand. People mistake other people for others all the time. And so I kind of had to go into, like, describing, like, the cross-race effect, which is, like, a, a studied psychological phenomenon wherein um, people of one in-group often um, have a little more trouble distinguishing between individuals of another ethnic group. And when you, like, add that to the history of race in this country, you can often get, like, 
what I would continue to call low-key racism. But so, yeah, the sort of question was like, is it a good idea to call that racism? Is it better to say racially insensitive? Like, do you do you run the risk of like having someone not listen to you if they hear the word racist? And I was kind of excited that you were on the show today because I felt like you and I were going to get to have a good chat about it. Yeah. You know, like I haven't had a chance to discuss this with Maria, who might be my cousin or my aunt <laughs> or something. I don't know. We're all like related. You know what I mean? But Based on what I'm hearing, I'm sort of like surprised, even if I shouldn't be, that you received blowback on your position on that. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of this, I, I think it's a conversation that gets had a lot, right? Which is like, is it worse to be told you said or did something racist than it is to experience yeah, like, racism? As annoyed as this person is, imagine being Veronica and having random white people coming up to you and being like, hey, are you Maria? Like every week. <laughs> And, and, and <laughs> you know I think I mean? maybe that's some of the like disparity, right? Is like um, maybe like the letter writer does not realize that this might happen to this woman a lot, and that the fifteenth right. time it happens, it maybe doesn't feel as easy to shrug off and say happens all the time. Clearly, there's nothing like behind it. Yeah, I'm reminded of um, America Ferrera. And um, oh, I forget who she was on stage with at that award show where they were just sort of making fun of the fact that they all, people keep confusing them for each other. <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is a really common problem that Latino people face a lot. And I just, I, I just would love for people to stop getting so offended when we say, hey, what you just did is kind of like, like you said, low key racist. Right. I felt like I said low key, like we can all relax. Yeah, we're, we're among friends. Let's just chill. Let's just talk about it. Let's just bring it to the fore. It's not like you're an awful, heinous person for doing this. You just, it needs to be brought to your attention that this is something that other people might have to deal with more than you. And you should at least be a little sensitive to the fact. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of it, right? I think like a lot of white people have this idea that racist is a category of person. Um, and it's not something yeah. that can describe an action or a sentiment. So the goal for us becomes, I must not be identified as a racist. So if anyone says that something I did or said was racist, especially if it felt unintentional on my part, they must be wrong. Which puts you in this position of, if you desire not to be racist, um, refusing to admit that you are ever capable of saying or doing something racist, which means that if any like, person of color ever says, like, hey, what you just did or said was kind of racist and I'd like you to not do it again and to apologize, now you're all of a sudden, like, having to prove them wrong, which puts you in a position of, like, never being able to experience criticism. Right. Because all our actions are happening in the context of what's still pretty much a racist society. And that doesn't mean that we're bad people. And it doesn't mean that when we contribute to them unwittingly that we're like irredeemable. It's just the fact of the matter. What we do has weight and gravity to it. And it doesn't hurt to call attention to it and say, okay, I can do better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, like, it's absolutely like deeply unpleasant. Like I have had times in my life where I have said or done something that like a friend said, hey, that was racist and you should apologize and not do it again. And like my instinctive response was just this really outsized, disproportionate sense of like shame and embarrassment and wanting to say that can't be true. Um, and I understand it's uncomfortable, but I think the only way to respond is to say, this makes me feel really uncomfortable. My discomfort should not dictate my future actions. Just because I don't like this doesn't mean that uh, they're not right. Right. And I kind of love this woman for responding with humor. I think that's, I think that's great. It seems <laughs> I think that's really, the response like, I would have too. It seemed really charming, I thought. Like, it yeah. was just this very, like, I'm acknowledging what this is. Um, and no, I'm not your old friend Maria. Um, <laughs> which also, like, if you think someone might be your old friend, open with, like, 
you look familiar. Uh, have we met before? <laughs> not like, hey, are you Maria? Because like, if you right. are asking that question, they're probably not. Right. Like, I am exhausted of people like coming up to me and pulling me around saying, are you Omar or something? It's like, I'm over it. <laughs> I saw Cheetah Rivera perform a couple of years ago, which was amazing. She's still an incredible mm. dancer and I lost it. And she had this little great bit at the beginning where she was just like, look, when I die, some of my obituaries are going to say Rita Moreno has just passed. Um, <laughs> I don't love that. She's a great lady. This has been happening since like 1962. It is what it is. <laughs> and yeah, like that's like charming, deflective humor. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's thank you. That was that was that was helpful to kind of talk. Yeah, through. I'm just sad that people gave you that response. That doesn't even seem like that intense of a of a thing. Oh, I, I, I mean, it was. Believe me, I'm I'm perfectly well. I I get it. I think a lot of times, <laughs> like I'm not hurt by it. A lot of times, like. When white people are confronted with, like, the specter of white guilt, which can be really overwhelming, like, we Mm -hmm. get really uncomfortable and we want to make it go away. And we'll either try to make it go away by saying, like, I'm one of the good white people. Don't worry. Let me fix it. Let me really go out of my way to make sure everyone feels great or Mm. push it away as hard as we can and not just push it away, but also, like, deny that it exists or could exist. It's like a reflexive threatened response when we're actually not being threatened, which is really interesting, I think, when someone behaves as if they have been threatened when, in fact, they are perfectly safe. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a wild ride. It is a wild ride. <laughs> um, and uh, on that note, I think we're uh, ready to sort of jump in and tell everyone how to live their lives. Do you feel ready? Oh, I'm so, I, I'm so ready for this. Are you wrapped in like a beautiful caftan and and full of wisdom? I have my beautiful throw on. Perfect. I am nestled on my couch. I am prepared to tell other people how to live from my dumpster palace. Awesome. Let's do this. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll read us the first letter. Uh, the subject of this one is just bring home the boyfriend. So I've never subjected any of my partners to my family for a number of reasons, but this one is a special and a long-haul kind of guy. What I don't know is how to give him advice in dealing with my sister. She has a long-term disability and has difficulty socializing. She's extremely judgmental and dismissive and will insult everyone she gets a chance to. I alternate between feeling bad for her and disliking her because she's so mean to me and my mother, who she lives with. How do I buffer him? I've warned him, but my sister is also jealous of everything I've ever done, and I feel like this is just one more thing for her to resent me about. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack here. So I'm wondering sort of what is the disability that might lead to very pointed vitriolic things that are said out of resentment? Great question. I think I... I, I think I too might suffer, <laughs> but also like, I, I just feel really bad for every party involved in this situation because mm-hmm. I, you know, like I, I am a person who does have, um, suffers from mental illnesses, some, and that can be categorized as a disability. And it does at times manifest as irritability. It does manifest sometimes as lashing out. And it's not like I want to be evil when that happens. Mm-hmm. Like it's, that's not what's going on in my brain. Right. But it does at times just sort of come out based on how I'm feeling about myself, about how my own pain is sitting. But I also know that that's not an excuse at the end of the day. Do you right. know what I mean? Well, I, I think that's part of the tricky nature of like, how do you deal with people, especially family members, where like on the one hand, um, like if somebody is dealing with like a mental illness or some kind of disability, um, like that is reality. Um, it would not be appropriate to treat that person as if 
every like choice they were making was like done in a vacuum. Like you, you do have to take that account into account. And you also like, you have to respond to how people treat you. Like both of those things need to be true at the same time. So it can be hard if you feel like, because she has a disability, I maybe I'm never allowed to, or feel as if I'm never allowed to uh, say anything when she treats me badly. Or on the other hand, conflating her disability, whatever that may be, with some of her behavior and saying this must all stem from her disability and can't have anything to do with just her personality or her choices. And I think both of those are like poles to be avoided. Yeah, because, you know, like differently abled people don't have to always be assholes, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like Like everyone else, you can be anything. Exactly. You can be anything and still be an asshole. So I'm just wondering how much of this is really stemming from this disability. I mean, we're we're not told what the disability is, so I'm hesitant to sort of definitively say one way or the other. But I think that you do have to dig into that a little bit and say, okay, is she saying these super mean things and these really judgmental, dismissive things because of her disability or is there maybe more to it than that? Yeah, yeah, like maybe maybe this is not connected. Maybe she's just also a jerk and you feel like you can't yeah. say like, "Hey, please don't talk to me that way and if you do it again, like I'm going to go." Like I think regardless of like like obviously you and I are not going to figure out like where do all these behaviors stem from. There might not be a real clear line of where all these behaviors stem from, but to say like what am I willing to accommodate and what would I need to leave the room over, right? Like if if I bring right. my boyfriend over and she spends an hour and a half enumerating everything she doesn't like about his face like at some point you get to say okay we're gonna go right you know exactly like i i too (laughs) i am a bitter judgmental vitriolic person but that feels very separate from my manic depressive (laughs) do you know what i mean i love you so much i i don't i think those things sometimes overlap and form each other a little bit yeah but at the same time i can also recognize that my actions aren't being totally motivated by my illness. Sometimes I'm just being a jerk and I'm indulging things that I shouldn't indulge. Yeah. And and hopefully I think the letter writer has like a better sense of uh, her sister's sort of um, makeup and, and the way that she interacts with people and will be a good judge of like what is something that like perhaps would not be super appropriate to hold her accountable for and what would be something that would be okay to say like please don't talk to him like that. And again, like, like once right. you, once you kind of think about that in advance, think through like, what's going to be a low stakes way to introduce them to each other. Mm. Maybe have it, 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 you know, if, if she can meet you guys elsewhere, like maybe in a public space at a park, in a coffee shop, somewhere outdoors where like, there's not this sense of it is just the three of us in this small room. Um, right. You have to get a little strategic and you have to plan around what you know. And she probably knows the terrain a lot better than we do. Because mm-hmm. um, like I said, what makes me really hesitant is just not knowing what this disability is. Right. And saying something that could, for example, from a place of ableism, say, oh, why doesn't she just do this? Right. When I don't know what she is or isn't capable of. But I also think like, you know, kudos to this guy, too, for wanting to be a part of her life in this way. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's special and that's awesome. Yeah. A lot of people just have really difficult family dynamics. And I always think think it's fantastic when someone's partner is like, yeah, I'm here for you. Like, I'm here to, you know, meet them and, and like see how we can interact. So, yeah, I mean, go in, you know, make it low stakes when you first introduce them to each other and just like really prepare him beforehand. If you both go in and you have like reasonable expectations of like, this might not be the world's friendliest coffee, right? Like afterwards, we might want to go do something more fun, like give each other blowjobs right. or whatever. Um, but like, just go in, meet one another, have a conversation. Um, if it's just totally brutal, if she's just being a total jerk, like 
think in advance, like, what would be the line that I would want to say, like, okay, we're going to go. Um, and if she crosses that, mm-hmm. to just go. And not like, you're such a monster that we are depriving you of our presence, but just like, you know, I don't, you know, right. you can't there talk to him to that way, so we're going to go. plan in place. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and then just, like, see how that goes. And if that goes well, like, you know, he doesn't have to become her best friend. Like, you guys might not spend every weekend together. Um, but, you know, you can at least try to. And, like, hopefully, like, you know, go in and, like, ask her questions, right? Like, don't just go thinking the point of this interaction is for her to like my boyfriend. But it's for them to meet, right? It should be reciprocal. So he should also be, like, prepared to talk with her about things that she's interested in. Like, maybe she's super into, like, the work of Walter M. Miller, and you guys can talk about that or whatever. you're submitting a genuine, good-hearted effort in good faith to make it work with this person's family. And that's all you can do, really. If they reject that, if this disability thing and the action she's manifesting because of it get in the way you did your part (laughs) yep you did what you could yeah yeah so if your goal is like i have to make a relationship between them like smooth and positive because i want to keep him in my life long term then i think that's going to be really hard because it's going to be setting your sister up like with the expectation of like if she deviates from this she fails um so just like bear in mind that your relationship with siblings is usually a long one it is a long game um, and sometimes you mm-hmm. go through rockier patches than others, um, that it should be reciprocal. It shouldn't be all about just like her being nice to him, but also like, you know, doing your level best to, to make her feel like you also want to be there for her. Um, and totally. to, to try to let go of like the, the jealousy thing, like it may be that your sister's really jealous of you. It may be there's other feelings there that you interpret as jealousy. You know, I would always caution you against, like, assuming you know exactly how someone else feels about you. Like, you can be hostile without being jealous. Make the goals things that you can reasonably obtain, things that can actually happen. Because like we were saying, it may not work. The relationship may not flourish. They may not be best friends. But if your goal is more like, I'm going to do my best in this situation, I'm going to just at least try to introduce them to each other and, you know, just have a really in good faith hey, you two meet each other. You're both in my life. That's something you can control. You can't control how she's going to react and you can't control what that dynamic is going to look like over time. Yep. That's, I think that's so true. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This one I find delightful. This one I'm very excited about. Uh, The subject line of this one is just parents getting back together in my son's bed. My husband's parents have been divorced since the late 70s. Betty moved to a different state, has been married and divorced twice. Joey married the other woman and is now in the middle of a divorce. Throughout the years, Betty and Joey have remained on good and occasionally flirty terms and talk on the phone regularly. This year, Joey is flying to town to spend Christmas with Betty and his son. They're then driving across the state to spend part of January with my husband, myself, and our two kids. If her plans fall through, Betty has said that she might just fly out and shack up with Joey for January. I'm kind of creeped out at the thought of them shacking up in my house in my seven-year-old's bed. If they want to have a fling, which we've suspected has happened before, I have no problem with this, but how do I tell my husband's parrots to keep it in their pants under my roof? Oh my god. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Um... 
I don't want you to tell your parents to keep it in their pants under your roof. I want them to get it on in your seven-year-old's bed. <laughs> like, I'm, I ship Betty and Joey hard. I was about to say, like, I, I'm really in love with all these characters in this question. I, I think that this is has the makings of a really good Christmas movie, actually. This feels like that Meryl Streep slash Alec Baldwin movie that came out a couple of years ago with that really yes. great scene where they made Christmas. Oh my god, yes. I, I also love that during uh their grandfather's stay, they were like, Well, obviously he'll sleep in like our seven year old's bed, which like don't seven year olds have really small beds? Would one adult fit in it, much less two? No, I was totally imagining one of those like race car beds, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's what seven year olds sleep in, but that's what I was thinking. How can you deny two senior citizens the chance to do it in a race car bed? No, that's how I, that's also how I feel. I'm glad that we're on the same page on this because I was about to say, listen. <laughs> They've been through a lot. This relationship has been through a lot. They're coming back together. Right? You can you can just let this happen. Yeah. I <laughs> I got to say like you say that you don't have a problem with them having a fling. So I would just say extend the amount of not a problem you have with them having a fling to include your house. Um Absolutely. Yeah. Like cuz come on, Aval, if you really think that like part of this is going on cuz they're sort of gravitating back towards each other, even if you put them in separate bedrooms, people find ways to fuck. Do you know what I oh mean? Oh my god, that is so true. Like, they'll wait until you're out of the house going grocery shopping with your kid, and they'll, like, do it in your bed, and you'll never know about it. No, like, human ingenuity is never so strong as it is when two people are trying to find ways to fuck. I could not agree with you more strongly. Yeah, I mean, I understand, like, it can be a little weird when relatives are staying with you, and you have to acknowledge that sometimes relatives have sex, but they're not going to, like, psychically taint your son's bed He's not going to like... Right, that's what I was thinking. It's not going to leave spirits yeah. <laughs> on the bed that's going to haunt him or anything. Right, I, I mean, mean, like, if it were if it were something like where you were worried that they would, like, I don't know, have sex in his bedroom while you were all at home and he would, like, accidentally walk in on them, like, yeah, if you think they have bad judgment, sure, like, pull them aside and be like, hey, please be discreet. But if you are putting them up... I, I feel like if you are putting someone up in your home, like, the classic rules of hospitality have to include, like, you don't get to dictate if they have sex or not, right? Right. Like, they just, you can't. You can't be like, while you're under my roof, you're not allowed to have sex. Like, Also, if you pitch it that way, yeah, it sounds bad. Like, they're going to have sex on my seven-year-old son's bed. That sounds bad. Okay, I get it. But it's not really. It's just a bed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, attaching it to the whole well-being of the child, I'm not super sold on that. No. No, it's, Yeah. Like, he, your seven-year-old is alive because you and your husband had sex at one point. Um, right, like, you totally had sex. Right, like, again, like, as long as it's not, like, while the kid's, like, awaken in that. You know what I mean? Like, the general, like, Queensbury rules apply, right? Like, if you're having sex as a totally. guest in somebody else's house, it is incumbent upon you to be really discreet, to get rid of the evidence, to not stain the sheets, to not wake anybody up. Um, like, yeah. you know, campfire rules. But don't. Yeah, no, don't try to, like, separate them or be like, because if you lay down that rule, then 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 they're going to have to fuck everywhere in your house. If you're like, if you're going to stay here, you guys can't do it to each other, then they're going to, like, yeah. all they're going to think about is doing it to each other's bodies. You are going to open Pandora's box. Yeah. If you don't just give them this room. Also, like, I'm just rooting for them so hard. The way this has been, like, sort of set up for me between Betty and Joey, I, I want it to work. I know. I want... I want anything that they need to happen mm -hmm. so that it can work. Yeah. If anything, you should be trying to parent trap them. 
you should not be trying oh, to totally. parent trap them. That is bad advice. Um, but you should, I, I don't think that you should set down any like rules about where they can or can't sleep. Like, I think they are in their 70s, you know, they're in their 70s. Like, I get that it's your house, but they are not teenagers. They are in their 70s. And um, again, if they are like doing it in the bathroom when you're trying to get in there to wash your hands, absolutely. You get to like lay down some rules and be like, hey, if you need to get a hotel room, get a hotel room. But like, please don't do that. Sure. Draw some yeah. lines somewhere. But I don't think you can tell them where to sleep. Totally. I mean, you can you can be like, I turned down the couch for you. You're welcome to sleep on the couch. But like if one of them sneaks <laughs> into the other one's room and then I, I don't think you should flip out. I don't think you should try to stop it. I don't think you should be like monitoring, like standing by the door being like, is one of them trying to go in there? Right. Is this old man I mean, going to get a blowjob? I'm furious. It's not just the son's bed, right? Because she says at the end, um, how do I get them to keep it in their pants under my roof? It's it's any sexual activity, it seems like, happening at all between them. Right. We've expanded the territory of unacceptable sexual relations from just his bed to anywhere that my roof is over. Right. And I I disagree. I disagree. Yeah. If it bugs you that much, um, you know, they can both sleep on the couch, but then the odds of you're walking into the living room in the middle of the night to get a glass of water and washing them going at it goes up. Um, you could always yeah. give them your bed. That would be very nice of you. I would know. And, you know, turn turn some white noise on, like one of those waterfall rainmaker things at night, and you'll be fine. Everyone should have those. If you have house guests over ever, it is just like common courtesy to have a white noise machine. Oh, my God. Not just yes. for sex sounds, but like sneezing and like moving in the you know what i mean just like it's just such a courtesy to other human beings of like hey there's not going to be a deathly silence in the house when you make the sounds that a human body makes let's oh my god i wish we had a product to plug because that would have been the perfect segue right like which is why you should buy it's embarrassing to have a body (laughs) and it's especially embarrassing to have a body when you spend the night at somebody's house that you have like normally only interacted with like upright during the day and all of a sudden you're like well now i'm horizontal and we're sharing a bathroom and that's weird yeah, same page, 100%. All right. Good luck, Betty and Joey. I hope you guys make it. All right. Uh, this last one, uh, I feel like we're going to be able to handle beautifully. I, I usually have one mm-hmm. of these a week. Uh, how do I tell my husband I'm bisexual? I've finally realized I'm bisexual. I've felt this way since high school, but I've always brushed off my attraction to women. I've never actually been with a woman, but I've been with my husband for eight years. I love him, and just like I'm not interested in cheating on him with a man, I'm also not interested in cheating on him with a woman. But I'm afraid he will think that my attraction to women somehow lessens my attraction to him. Influencing this worry is the state of our sex life. I think we have a healthy one. We have sex once or twice a week. But I know his preference is to have sex daily. In the past, he has made comments, like when I turn down his advances, it makes him feel like I'm not attracted to him. I've told him, and it still holds true, that I just don't have as high a sex drive as he does. I'm worried now that my added revelations will just make him feel worse. I'm already planning on going to a therapist in the new year, but I hate keeping this from him in the meantime. Help. Hmm. Yeah, these are two real separate conversations. Those are, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh. This, this thing with the husband, she's sort of afraid that revealing that she's bisexual is going to hurt his feelings because they don't have enough sex in his eyes. That's what I'm focusing on right now. Right. Well, because it sounds like it's still a sore spot for the both of them. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like, I mean, maybe the compromise they have right now is working okay, but there's this kind of unanswered question of like, he feels like you might not be attracted to him and you have yeah. tried. And it, it it also feels like she's aware of some of the stigmas surrounding bisexuality, that it's this hypersexual thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so you're only having sex with me every once in a while, but 
you're bisexual <laughs> is sort of what I'm getting from right. That. And and like it sounds like she's worried all she'll do is say the word bisexual and he'll have this like image in his head of like, oh, my God, she has mm-hmm. this like secret, like bisexual fantasy life that I don't even get to see. And like she's mm-hmm. the reason we're not having sex every day is because she's like having all these like flights of fancy about women. And I didn't know. Um, and and like that's a concern for her in this conversation. Um, right. Because it's so often lumped into that world of like the kink and the hypersexual that and I, I think she seems aware of that which sort of breaks my heart a little bit that she has to navigate that with her husband right right bisexuality is kinky right that means we're going to do all sorts of crazy stuff that we didn't do <laughs> exactly before. like oh so you're freaky is what i'm like i don't know yeah it sounds like uh she might not be freaky and that's wonderful and beautiful and all part of the rich rich tapestry of life um but mm-hmm. so i think you know, I, I I understand the impulse. She says, like, I, I feel I hate keeping this from him in the meantime, because there's a sense of she's it sounds like she's like a little bit arriving late to the realization that she's bisexual. So there's a part of her that's like, mm-hmm. I really want to talk about this because I finally get it. And I like didn't realize it for a really long time. And so I really want to share this, especially with the person who's closest to me. But I would encourage mm-hmm. you to realize like you're not like keeping something from him like people come out on really different timetables um right. you have only just realized this yourself like this is not some big awful secret that you owe him uh like revelation on immediately and that the later you tell him like the more mad he'll be or the more upset he'll be like it is right. okay to figure this out for a while on your own before you talk about it with him um especially because it sounds like you have a lot of concerns about how to have the conversation i think talking it over with a therapist especially hopefully uh a therapist who is like uh up to date on their bisexuality research i guess like a bi-friendly <laughs> right, therapist I mean... get a bi-friendly therapist let's let's prep. get a bisexual <laughs> therapist no you don't need to know about their life their personal life is none of your business and you know anyone who has to come out of the closet for whatever reason sort of has to grapple with this really uncomfortable narrative that okay so what i was living before was the lie and i'm ready to start living the truth and it's it's just not delineated that right. way You're not like a fraud or a scam because you haven't told this person or that person. Even if they're a super important person in your life, it's not like, okay, everything before this, I've just been deceiving you. Right. And there can be, I'm not sure that this is a dynamic, but, you know, there can be a, a real sense of like, if you are bisexual, but you have had only romantic interactions with like the opposite sex, this sense of. I don't know how to talk about this. This all feels theoretical. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be understood um, when I try to talk about it. And I just like I just want to acknowledge that, like, that that is that is distinct. It's really different talking about bisexuality when in part you are acknowledging like due to like, you know, uh, like the inherent biphobia of society or just like not catching on to it sooner. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't have a like active bisexual history to point to and be like look i have evidence which people often will demand um right and and so i just want to acknowledge like that that might possibly also be hard for you to think about because if there's that demand for evidence and you don't have any then the sort of like follow-up to that is like well then obviously you're only bringing it up now because you do want to have sex with women um otherwise you would never want to talk about this right i'm yeah i'm just like thinking of all the missing context that i mean People aren't getting this because it's not usually out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like the misconceptions people have about bisexual people, about any sexual minority, 
society is not doing a good enough job of educating these people or getting those resources out there. So I get it. And the people who have to come out have to navigate all these hurdles and all these misconceptions like, okay, yeah, how do I expect my husband to know that I can be bisexual without ever having actually done anything with a woman or without planning to do anything? Right. Because it doesn't mean that I'm like polyamorous doesn't mean that I'm into threesomes. Um, Like, and I think that that will be helpful to discuss with other therapists that you can kind of anticipate like questions and like difficult conversations that might spring up out of that. I mean, I hope I hope his response is great. I hope that he's like, Mm -hmm. thank you for telling me about this. Uh, like we can talk about this as much as you want. I love you. I trust you. Uh, I'm excited for you to like have come to this realization and to know this because I love knowing you because you are my partner and I, that's what I want for you. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think you should definitely think of this as a separate conversation from the conversation about like how satisfied you both are with your sex life. And I think that's one where like it's hard to get a little vulnerable and to ask questions, but I think is worth it because like, um, it sounds like where you guys last left it is you have a compromise that kind of works, but kind of doesn't, right? Like, he right. feels unattractive. And that's not necessarily, like, you have to fix that by having sex with him every day. But, like, you guys do. You should talk about it. Yeah, ignoring that's not going to. Like, in either direction, having more sex with him isn't going to work. And neither is ignoring it. A conversation definitely has to happen. Uh, how married that is to this whole coming out is where it gets tricky for me because I think they have to sort of be parsed out. Yeah. I I would keep those conversations really separate just because the potential for misunderstanding is, is high. Exactly. And he may not even go to that place, you know, like, I don't know this person. Right. Yeah. He might surprise, he might pleasantly surprise you, which would be fabulous. That would be amazing. Like he may not say, Oh, you're bisexual. And then immediately or later sort of partner it with this other problem he's having hopefully this is a person who knows that these are separate issues and who won't combine the two into this ugly knot of a mess right it it, it could very well be the case that he's like okay that's great or even if he does struggle with some aspects of it it still may not be the case that he struggles in that regard right right but i think the way in which these two questions are both connected right is like how do how do I share like my sexual identity and my sexual expression with my partner, right? Because like right. the one of them is you want to share your bisexuality with him, not because it means you want to do new things or like add new people to your relationship, but because you want him to know you. And the reason mm-hmm. that you guys should have a conversation about the state of your sex life is because you love him and you want him to feel attractive. Like your goal is for him to feel like you desire him. And so Mm -hmm. um, like you guys can talk about like, what does that look like for him? And um, what are ways that you can address and acknowledge that that aren't just fix it by having sex every day, Um, but making Mm -hmm. it really clear that like you are attracted to him, that you are interested in him, that he is desirable to you. Um, and, and whatever like needs you might have right now that are not getting met, like that you go, but that you guys are approaching that in terms of like, my goal is for you to feel this for me. And I want to figure out how we mm-hmm. can get there. Not I'm doing a shitty job of this and we need to like yell at me. Um, but to be right. like, what we both want is to know and be known, to love and be loved, to like make one another feel good and to feel like we can talk about this stuff without like falling apart. Right. And I mean, I, I think that she's doing so far anyway, all the right things in dealing with these questions very seriously because it, wanting your partner to know who you are is so important for a healthy relationship. Not not just like doing it, but the desire is there. Right. Yeah. For her to say, okay, I want to share this with you. I want to share this part of me with you. I think that that's great. And I'm hoping that it works out for her. Mm-hmm. 
there's obviously like you know people can be really shitty when you come out and they can be shitty in ways that they don't even mean to be shitty Mm -hmm. and they don't even know they're being Mm -hmm. shitty because they have all these sort of things they have to grapple with these preconceived notions um that's definitely going to happen i can't see any coming out happening without (laughs) at least some microaggressions right you know what i mean well especially because like she's been thinking about this since high school Right. On and off. Mm -hmm. She's been brushing off her attraction to women since she was a teenager. So you've got a head start on him Mm -hmm. in terms of thinking and talking about being bisexual. Um, And again, Mm -hmm. not to say like so give him like a ton of leeway to say whatever shit comes into his head. But like be aware you guys are coming at it from two really different starting points. Absolutely. Yeah. And good luck. Update us. Let us know how therapy goes. Take your time. Remember that like um, this is not like there is not a certain timetable where you have to disclose. Um, you should talk about it when you feel ready um, and you should think through like what are your goals in that conversation. Um, and, and like mm-hmm. please update us. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know how he's doing. Let us know how your relationship's going. Um, and congratulations. Welcome to the bisexual party. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know what happens yeah yeah i hope i hope we get an update we'll see if we do i'll bring you back on the show thank you that'd be great oh uh, this was so much fun thank you so much for coming on the show oh thank you i was happy to be here i had so much fun you were fabulous and glorious and thank you for visiting us from your trash palace <laughs> oh my gosh those are the only words i've ever wanted to hear from you Mally ortberg thank you Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. It really helps new people find the show. And we really appreciate it. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. 